October 13th, 2023, we're in Masechet Besa and Daf Kavzayin Amud Aleph, from the top of the Amud down, it's six lines down, this morning's class and the classes throughout this week, and for the uh, unfortunate foreseeable future are in honor and for the zechut of Achenu and Achotenu Bene and Benot Yisrael, Ha'omedim al Mishmar Arsenu, those who are fighting, those who are defending themselves in Eres Yisrael today and in the foreseeable future in the difficult and tragic circumstances that are, they should only have a speedy recovery and redemption. Amen. Amen. The Gemara here uh, talks, uh, as we mentioned at the end of class yesterday, again about uh, the issue of whether you're allowed to show, or you're allowed to determine through showing a Bechor, a firstborn animal, to a Mumche on Yom Tov. If you're allowed to bring it to determine whether it has a Mum Kavua or not, whether it has that blemish which will render it edible, or not on Yom Tov. What would the issue be? As Rashi told us at the beginning of the sugya, uh, the issue might be one of two. Either it's nirake metaken, uh, if the mumche, uh, the person who knows how to distinguish, how to determine, sees it and determines that this is kosher, that it has a mum, well, it looks like you're fixing something. Alternatively, it's a, like a din or dan din biyom tov. You're not allowed to judge. The Mishnah will tell us later on the Masechet on Yom Tov. And in turn, this is like judgment. That was that issue about whether ro'in mumin biyom tov, those are the Hebrew words for it, is permitted on Yom Tov, is permitted or not. It's between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon in our Mishnah. Well, that being the case, excuse me, between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon in our Mishnah. That being the case, the Gemara now tells a story through which we'll understand and discuss and develop what's the halakha on this matter. Are we stringent or are we lenient? Are you allowed to show it to the mumche? Or alternatively, is it altogether prohibited? Says the Gemara, Rabbi Hudan Generally speaking, when the Gemara cites Rabbi Hudan if I'm not mistaken, it's not Rabbi Hudan the grandfather, the person, the rabbi who put together the Mishnayot as we know him. It's rather his grandson. Regardless, here, this rabbi, he had a firstborn animal, and it was Yom Tov. And I guess he was interested in eating from it. Rashi, as we mentioned yesterday, said he had Kohanim, perhaps, in his home who wanted to eat from it. Shadre, he sent the animal, in front of Derbi Ameh. He sent it to Derbi Ameh, effectively asking him, can you check this animal? Can you determine whether it has this permanent blemish or not, a mum kavua or not? Savar, as Rabbi Ameh received the animal, de la uh, He would not look at it. Lahazot means to see. Uh, Rabbi Ameh determined this is inappropriate. It's wrong for me to do so. He's clearly being stringent on the matter of whether ro'in mumin biyom tov or not, whether you're allowed to look at and determine whether there's a blemish or not on yom tov. Amaler b'izereka v'itemar b'irmiya. Rabbi Zereka, and some say Rabbi Yirmiya, remarked to Rabbi Ameh after seeing that the animal was sent from Rabbi Yudani Sia to Rabbi Ameh, and Rabbi Ameh rejected it. One of these rabbis turned to him and said, Rabbi Yudav, Rabbi Shimon, Halakha, Rabbi Yehuda. Generally speaking, the halakha in a dispute in the Mishnah or in the Beraita between these rabbis, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, we go, we follow the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Would you know it? Rabbi Yehuda is the lenient opinion in our Mishnah. According to that, according to our general principles of Pesach halakha, according to the general approach of determining Jewish law in this circumstance, we should say, Rabbi Ameh, Rabbi, that you should be looking at this. It should be permitted. How come you're not? 
no response as per the Gemara. Hadar, afterwards, Rabbi Huda Hanasi, or Rabbi Huda Nisi'ah, as he's holding on to this animal, wants to serve it to his guests, perhaps wants to eat from it a little bit himself, he needs to show it to someone else. Rabbi Amir rejected it. Shadre lekameder bitzhak nafcha. Sent it to a different rabbi, to be Haknafha. Again, hoping and searching for a rabbi who's a mumche, who knows how to determine whether it's a blemish or not, a mum kavuar, mum over, and sends it to him on Yom Tov. Savar, once again, to be Itzhak's decision in this circumstance, based on his thoughts, de la to not look at this animal, to not be ro'e mumin biyom tob. Again, clinging to the stringent opinion from the Mishnah, that of Rabbi Shimon against Rabbi Huda. Amar le Rabbi Yirmiya, ve'itemar Rabbi Zereka. Again, one of these two rabbis who apparently is present. Uh, one was present the first time, perhaps one of the others was present this time. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Shimon, alachak Rabbi Huda. Don't you know our general principle? Our general principle when it comes to Pesach Halacha is Rabbi Shimon, when he disputes, when he goes up against Rabbi Huda, we follow Rabbi Huda. In our Mishnah, Rabbi Huda is the lenient opinion. He maintains those fears of it looks like judgment, that issue of maybe it's mitakin. Apparently for Rabbi Huda, it's not an issue. It's not really mitakin. It's not Yiraki mitakin. It's not really done. It's not a judgment. Yes, done, done with Muqsel Hatsi Shabbat. Why isn't Rabbi Huda worried that's a good question, 100%. You might recall Rashi and our Mishnah addressed that question. So before, pause the Gemara for one second to address Jesse's question. The Gemara at this point is at a little bit of a standstill. Rabbi Udan has hungry people at home, and Jesse, you want to take us off of them. Anyway, they won't, they won't look at it, and we're trying to figure out why. Okay, back to the Mishnah. Jesse's just rem- remembering, this is the opinion of Rabbi Udan and our Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda, we know from throughout Masechet Be'etzah, throughout Masechet Shabbat, is the opinion who maintains, yesh mukseh. How come this isn't a problem of mukseh? Rabbi Yehuda is permitting the animal, when it has the blemish, or doesn't, for it to be checked by a mumheh. Why so? Rashi, at the top of the right-hand corner, on Mud Aleph, addressed this issue. If you look over there for a moment, it says, Al-Kurhach, you must say, Rabbi Yehuda mukseh itleh. Rabbi Yudah is of the opinion that there is mukseh. If this blemish was developed on Yom Tov, Rashi therefore explained to us, Jesse, right? You would not, even according to Rabbi Yudah, allowed to be allowed to show it to the mumcheh. The issue instead is, as he goes on to tell us, that the mum was there from before Yom Tov. You just didn't look at it. That's not mukseh, per se. Right, that's the way he, he determined. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. You know, so Jeffrey's asking, he's shopping for a hete. I don't think it is, because I don't think he's looking for a hete. It seems to me that Rabbi Uda Nisia maintained personally Ro'in Mumin, and he's trying to get someone who will do it. He can't do it. He's not proficient in the laws of blemishes and the reality on the animals. So his opinion, though, is that it's permitted. He's not looking for someone to say to, it's not that one looked at it said it's not okay and he's looking for another one. That's how I understand it. Possible. Possible. I mean, but we don't have a response yet. No. It was born before Yom Tov. Has to be. Not on Yom Tov. Yeah. Was it basically that the law was established that you're allowed to tell an expert to check it, and now people tell on their own? 
There was no established laws. A in our Mishnah, Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon. We don't have. It's an interesting question that Charles. It's a larger, broader question. When we read Gemara and we have principles, halachas like this, you know, in the Mishnah, what were they doing? I mean, just a couple hundred years after the Mishnah. The answer is that halakha as we know it today, with Shohan Aruch and with Nosei Kelim, as you're well aware, took thousands or, or hundreds of years to develop. Lots was in the development. So they had principles, they had that. At the same time, though, not everyone was yet steadfast to that law. It took time. Seems clear. Seems clear. Seems clear throughout. The adherents, the students of Rabbi Shimon, there's no question we're following Rabbi Shimon unless there was a majority view against it, which we don't know about over here. Uh, so it seems clear. In this particular instance, as you develop it further in the Gemara, the Gemara is going to suggest that this was an outlying case. For one reason or another, at some point they determined halachas like Rabbi Shimon. But, but it's a wonderful question just in general and included over here. In other words, what's happening over here, Charles is wondering. Words, he's sending this animal. They're not checking it. But maybe they're, what's their opinion? So at this point, we're wondering. It's possible they're students of Rabbi Shimon. They're going to follow Rabbi Shimon against all odds, probably. Uh, what the Gemara alternatively is going to say is this, for one reason or another, was an outlying case. Rabbi Shimon won this one. It's not a singular decision. Halakha is always like, Halakha is generally like Rabbi Yudah. Over here, he was more convincing Rabbi Shimon the Isur. Amal Rabbi Abba, Rabbi Abba on this uh, account, on this, uh, at this time, uh, questioned the, the following. My ta'ama. Rabbi Abba turned to this Rabbi Zereka, who was, if you recall, right, so the, the animal was brought in front of Rabbi Tzhak Navcha. I'll do the scene. Right, he says, no, sorry, not looking at that. Rabbi Zereka says, Rabbi, why not? Isn't the halakha leniently? Rabbi Abba defending the rabbi says, oh, one second. It says, Rabbi Zereka, why not? My tama lashav katinu rabbanan, the me'abad of dakir bishimon. Why do you keep bothering the rabbis? Tell them the halachas like Rabbi Uda. Just leave them. Let them follow Rabbi Shimon. Leave them, let them follow Rabbi Shimon. If the halakha is that it's mutar, why you, what do you mean allow them to be mahmir? And uh, moreover, Nathan, even if you want to suggest that the mahmir for themselves, uh, if they hold it's mutar and someone else is sending it to them, uh, maybe they should uh, be a little... Amale, the response in turn of Rabbi Zerekat to Rabbi Abba is, one second, you're telling me over here, just remember, we can boil it down instead of Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Uda for a moment, stringent and lenient, right? The understanding was, Rabbi Zerekat was telling us lenient, and the counterclaim over here is stringent. That's what they seem to be acting. And then the question is, why do you keep uh, pushing this lenient card? So he says, what do you mean? Do you have some proof, some evidence that over here it's different? That for some reason over here we are stringent? Because the general principle is that halakha is like Rabbi Yehuda. And you, what's in your hand? In other words, do you have some sort of tradition that over here it's different? Uh, let me state it in today's day and age type of terminology. We're Svaradim, generally speaking, right? And in, in the room, in the class. And for Svaradim, we generally speaking follow Shulchan Aruch. I walk in one day and I say, the halakha on this is like Ramah. There's a buzz in the room. He said, why is like the Ramah? Rabbi Moshe Isilis is from Poland. We don't follow him. We follow Shulchan Aruch. And there's a whole buzz or whatever. Unless I have a reason, some sort of precedence, some sort of 
rationale, some sort of something in order to defend that, he said to me, what are you doing? Our general principle is we follow Shulchan Aruch. That's what's going on over here. You know, he says, uh, says Rabbi Abba, that the halakha is, um, uh, that, that the halakha is like uh, Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, how come you're arguing for the rabbis with Rabbi Shimon? Amar hake amar bizera, halakha ke Rabbi Shimon. He says, well, I have a tradition from Rabbi Zera, who's still alive at this point, but living in Israel, much of this is taking place outside of Israel, the halakha over here is like Rabbi Shimon. Really? Why so? It's against the principle. I heard, um, the, I, uh, Harari walks in and says, the halakha in this matter is like the Ashkenazim do. Why? Because I heard from Hacham Ovadia Yosef, uh, let's, uh, from Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef, still love that the halakha is on this matter we're stringent like the Ashkenazim. Why so? Uh, Amar, Mandehu, there was someone present at the time, one of the students or one of the people in the class say to themselves and say, all he told us, the rabbi, is that the halakha is to be stringent over here. All he told us is we have a different mode of halakha over here. I wonder why. I want to go to the source. It should be God's will. I should be zochesh in merit. Ve'asek And I'll go up to there, meaning I'll, I'll, I'll visit Israel. So I could ask Rabbi Zerah, Rabbi Zerah, how come on this matter you're stringent? How come you decided the halakha is like Rabbi Shimon? Ve'agmera, and I'll learn, milashon gemara, as we're learning right now, I'll learn lishma'ata, this learning. The gemara doesn't call it a sugya like we generally refer to it. It always refers to it as shma'ata. The hearing, uh, that which is discussed, this issue, mipume from the mouth of the Mara, of the Master, and other of the Bizera. The rabbi is quoting that the Bizera said on this issue, stringent. We go like Rabbi Shimon. Let me go up to Israel. Let me see if I can meet Rabbi Zera and ask him. Kisalik lahatam. When he indeed goes to Israel, visits Ashkehed Rabbi Zera, he finds Rabbi Zera amale amar mor halachak Rabbi Shimon. He says, did you say, based on tradition, Rabbi Zera, Rabbi Zera, my master, Mor, did you say, Halachas, like Rabbi Shimon, based on tradition? Your rabbi told you that? You have some sort of masoret on this? Amale, look. He says, no, it's not that I didn't say it, but I don't have a tradition that over here was stringent. I said, then why'd you say it? And now I said Rabbi Zera in explaining his position on this matter, which apparently the rabbis in Bavil afterwards are following in being stringent again, not to check the mum on Yom Tov. Mistabera amre. I said it based on logic. That's not logic in the traditional sense. It's logic based on my reading of things. Now, before we go on, let me just briefly, you know, preempt what the logic over here, what the, what, how it works. Generally speaking, when we have Mishnayot, we've said this on many occasions, you'll have Rabbi Li'ezer versus Rabbi Yehoshua. You'll have Rabbi Huda versus Rabbi Shimon and so forth. Sometimes you have Rabbi Shimon or Rabbi Huda versus Hachamim. And so you and me, we say, oh, it must have been a hundred people and Rabbi Huda was standing up and screaming against them. Not really. Not really. Hachamim, the majority of the time, as we compare from our Gemara, means we want to, the author of the Mishnah wants to tell us the halakha is like that other opinion. So the way to get that across, instead of saying Rabbi Yudah versus Rabbi Shimon or something like that, is to say Rabbi Yudah against Hachamim. And you know, we follow a majority rule. So um, I walk into the room and I know a dispute between uh, Rabbi A and Rabbi B. I want you to know the halakha is like Rabbi B. So I say, Rabbi A says, Asur. The Hachamim say, Mutah. 
So you listen to this majority view. That's the way I resolve this issue. In our Mishnah, this issue of whether Ro'in Mumin Biyom Tob or not is a machloka between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Yehuda lenient, Rabbi Shimon stringent. In the Beraitam, which we cited, which reiterates, which repeats what we learned in the Mishnah, that here's how it's recorded. Rabbi Yehuda says, Mutar to show the animal to the Mumhayan Yom Tob. The Chachamim say it's forbidden. Why did it say Chachamim? Why didn't it say Rabbi Shimon? Says Rabbi said, I'll tell you why. Because that's proving to us that our majority view, our operative opinion, the Halakha is that it's Asur. That's what he says. He says, from the fact that we taught in the teaching of the Mishnah, quote, Rabbi Shimon Omer, in the Mishnah, it's Mahloket Rabbi Huda, and the name is recorded Rabbi Shimon. And when it was taught in the Beraita, the secondary literature to the Mishnah, same time period, just not included in the Mishnah corpus, Belashon, quote, Hachamim, unquote, it's quoted in the name of Hachamim, not Rabbi Shimon, we can deduce from this that, logically speaking, that's how we go. That's what it was coming to teach us. That's the punchline at this point. It means to say whether you're allowed to see Bechor, Biyom Tob or not, which was a Mahlokid in our Mishnah, which we had logic for saying should be forbidden, indeed is maintained against the general rules of Pesach Halacha, not like Rabbi Uda, rather stringently like Rabbi Shimon. Now, if you think that... Um, I don't know. In other words, that's how they translate it? That's how they translate it? That's not how I translate it. I translate it as, I don't have tradition that way, I rather deduced it that way, but I do believe that's the halakha. Um, if, you, if you look at Rashi, more reasonable, but that's what I think halakha. I mean, Rashi, anamistabera amre, Ken Amarti, I did say that, the Mistabera, it's more reasonable. I mean, listen, Jeffrey, we follow reasonable um, opinions in Halakha. Kirbi Shimon Aval, here's the apology. I don't have a tradition that we followed him. I just think it's reasonable based on my studies. You think that's better not? I don't know. I would say it's his determination. It's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. That's where the Gemara is standing right now. Interestingly, and maybe that's, maybe that, maybe you're right, because the Gemara now does what you, I can't say it will never do this, but it almost, at least to me, appeared as if that was our bottom line. You proved that. You said it's like hachamim. You saw the beraita. Unless you respond to that, aren't they going to, so apparently the Gemara doesn't think that's a full-fledged support and proof to be osir, because the Gemara now next words are my ala. So what is the halakha? Literally, what is what do we have on this? In other words, what's the halakha? What's the halakha? I'm telling you, the halakha is we just proved hachamim is Rabbi Shimon to be osir. Apparently, the Gemara doesn't think it's so simple. Right. In other words, and Nathan adds adds further. He says even if Rabbi Zera made that decision. Clearly, Rabbi Huda through his actions, looking for the right rabbi to do it, is not accepting of this. At the very least, we can be clear about this. At that point in history, we didn't have this determined. Now the Gemara is trying to determine halakha ma'aseh. Indeed, so my Allah says the Gemara, so what is the halakha? Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef uh, speaks up and says, Ta shema, 
come and listen, I'll tell you. I think this matter, and this next line happens to be a fa- famous words, detalya, this matter is ha- hanging, it's hinging upon, be'ashle ravreveh. Ashle ravreveh became a famous uh, uh, expression for great scholars. We call them the ashle ravreveh. Ashle ravreveh, as Rashi explains, means strong and thick ropes. In other words, this issue is all roped up with strong opinions. The Gemara is going to say in a moment, they're going to have one or two, rather, not one or two, they're going to have two strong opinions, impressive rabbis who hold on this matter to be stringent. And in turn, the statement of Rabbi Yosef is, you want to un, untie that strong tie which those strong opinions set forth to be stringent on this matter? It doesn't work like that. You can't just knock those down. You can't just open up a package that has strong, uh, strong tying on it like that. How so? What do we have? De Amar Bishimon ben Pazi. Amar bi Yoshua ben Levi, Amar bi Yosef ben Shaul, Amar bi Mishum Kila Kadisha de Birushalayim. There was a tradition all the way back to what's called Kila Kadisha Birushalayim in Talmud Yerushalmi and elsewhere. They talk about exactly who is, what is the definition of this Kihila Kadisha, this uh, sanctified, this holy congregation in Yerushalayim. In Yerushalayim. Ultimately speaking though, of a primary and, and important, we, we had this mentioned early, early in our Masechet, this, this reference as well. If you recall Rabbeinu Hananel, quoted from Talmud Yerushalmi, what distinguished them from others, they knew how to dedicate themselves to both work and to study. That's what made them Kihila Kadisha. It's an ironic description of Talmud Yerushalmi. What's that? (laughs) If you say so. They knew how to live a life that was integrated well. In other words, they knew how to dedicate themselves either during the winter months to Torah and summer months to study, or alternatively every day. They knew how to break up their day appropriately. Regardless, that's what they're known as. What they say, and they generally speaking say, it's, we'll see it later, it's the Bishimon ben Menasyah. That's one of the primary names there in Kihila Kadisha de Birushan. What they say, Rabbi Shimon v'chaverav ameru halacha kirbi meir. Their statement was, uh, so what's the statement of Bishimon? They, they said uh, in Yerushalayim, Rabbi Shimon v'chaverav ameru halacha kerbi meir. The statement was as follows: Halacha goes like Rabbi Meir. Who's Rabbi Meir? We don't know yet. We're going to find out in a moment or, th- or not, or, or two. But before we figure out who Rabbi Meir is, and apparently that's going to be relevant to our issue, we haven't seen Rabbi Meir. Who'd we see? We saw Rabbi Shimon and Biyodah. It's got to be connected to Rabbi Shimon, says Eli. But before we get there, the Gemara has a technical difficulty. The Gemara's technical dif- difficulty is, Ameru? One second. You're telling me, this old ancient community, dignified, sanctified, holy people, they quoted in the name of, uh, in the name, they quoted in the name of, uh, of, of Rabbi Shimon, Ha'inhu kashishe minetuba. The years don't align over here. It can't be that they said Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Meir agree with one another because they're older and they preceded that generation. As Rashi spells it out for us, there's Rashi in the second wide line, it says, Kila Kadisha de Amera Rabbi Lehashmata Mishamayu Kishishem Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya Tuba. It's very difficult for them to be quoting in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya because they preceded him. 
Not that they couldn't have been alive at the same time, but they were older than him. Generally speaking, the older ones, the Kila, Kadisha isn't going to be quoting the younger one for what he says. Ansis explained, Rashi goes on to explain how he knows that. He's able to prove exactly based on the years that, this, that, that they would be the older ones. Ela rather says, Rather, the reference was, as I mentioned it earlier, it goes like this, Bishim'on, they heard his statement. There's the elderly rabbi in today's day and age, and he heard the young rabbi said something. He says, let me tell you something. What that young rabbi said, that accords with what I know to be the halakha based on something else. So that's the reference. It's not per se that they're quoting from Rabbi Shimon. It's rather that they're saying what the young rabbi, Rabbi Shimon ben Menasiah, is saying, that accords with Rabbi Meir. Again, so it's confirming it. It's, it's affirming that that's the halakha said. Now. That being the case, what did Rabbi Meir say? And in turn, what does it have to do with our issue? Again, what's our issue? Rabbi Shimon versus Rabbi Huda. Whether Ro'in Mumin Biyom Tob or not. We've been struggling throughout today. Is the halakha like Rabbi Huda leniently, as it, leniency as it normally is? Or like Rabbi Shimon, stringency as it seems to be over here? Apparently it's to be stringent. Ashler Avreve, those Thick and strong ties held this way. Who are those strict, thick and strong ties? Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya and Rabbi Meir. Who's Rabbi Meir? Says the Gemara Ditnan. We have a Mishnah in Masechet Bechorot that says the following: Hashohet et habechor. A person who, without showing the bechor, the firstborn animal, to a mumche, goes ahead and slaughters, thinking to themselves, "I'm not going to eat it before I actually know there's a mum." But I don't have the time right now. I have a, I have a, a knife. I have a, a slaughter. I have someone who's going to... Let's just get it over with. And I'll show it afterwards. We'll check it out afterwards. And then he shows the animal to a mumhe, to a person who knows the laws, knows the animal, and determines it had a mum. Permitted after the fact to eat from it or not. Says, the, says this Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda says it's permitted. Rabbi Meir says, since you slaughtered it without showing it to a mumche, it's asur. Alma, it's clear from Rabbi Meir, kasavar Rabbi Meir, ri'iyat bechor, lo keriyat terefa, ri'iyat bechor mechayim, ri'iyat terefa, le'achar shechita, umina ri'iyat terefa, filu biyom tob, ri'iyat bechor me'erev yom tob. It goes like this, in turn, says the Gemara, showing the mum to the mumche is qualitatively different than showing or checking an animal for terefa. What's terefa? Terefa means the animal might have an internal blemish which renders it not kosher. If, and this happens all the time, the animal is slaughtered and they then check it and there's nothing problematic, kosher, no problem. Alternatively, says Rabbi Meir over here, we distinguish. If there was a moon that you didn't check before and then you check it afterwards, that's a problem. Pause for a second. What's the difference? What's that again? What do we? But you could check it beforehand. Okay, you'll check the external moons. Uh, uh, good. Uh, got it. So if I, you couldn't check under most circumstances before him. Moom, you could check in most circumstances from before him. Why then, though, when you didn't check it, is it a problem? In other words, if I'm able to, why not? And therefore what? And therefore the moom, which has not been checked on it, means 
that the checking is effectively saying that this is kosher, saying that this is permitted. That's a major decision. That's a decision which is either like deen or like mitaken. That's a decision which is contingent, the, the slaughtering is contingent on that decision making, which in turn means that that decision making is a very significant decision making. The Gemara's assumption in turn, uh, the Kihila Kadisha, who's quoting in Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya, is being like Rabbi Meir, their decision in turn, their understanding of this Rabbi Meir is, Rabbi Meir is telling you that determination by the Mumcheh is a very significant one. It's not like a regular rabbi making a decision. It's no, right? significant so, to the plan. What's that? Significant the plan if it, if it doesn't help. And therefore? It's I, I, I hear you. So there's a certain Kedushah. Just, just because you are a Kohen. Doesn't mean we need... What, what is whether it's okay for the Kohen or not, I understand, but I'm saying, ultimately speaking, if I'm allowed to, maybe because I have to, right, because I can't check the inside before him, but I'm allowed to, after the slaughtering, to determine whether it's kosher or not, why can't I do that with the Kohen as well? I slaughtered it. Nobody told you you should do that. You shouldn't have done it. After the fact that you did so, the Kohen, you can't eat from it? Why not? Apparently, the checking it beforehand is so significant is the understanding that if you slaughter it without checking it beforehand, I know you tell me you shouldn't. It's just simple that they don't want the people to... Next line, in the, you almost feel like Eli now. Next line in the Gemara. In other words, Jeffrey deflects and he says, this is all a knas, this is all penalty of the rabbis to make sure we don't mess. 100%. At this point, that's not where we're standing. At this point, we're standing that, as Jesse said, this is mitakin. This is deen. The reason it's significant for the mumhead to check the bechor beforehand, and if he didn't, it's invalidating the shahita in contrast to terefa, to checking whether it's kosher or not, which can be done afterwards. Uh, the suggestion of the Gemara is because one is establishing a reality and the other one is determining whether it's kosher or not. What do I mean by establishing a reality? When the mumhe checks the bechor, he establishes this as a mum. It's an establishment. That's something which is greater than just checking whether it's kosher with regards to significance or whether you can do it on Yom Tov or not. So That's the way. Say it again. Quite the opposite. I would say no slaughtering and no checking on Yom Tov. You check on Yom Tov, you went against Mitakin. You check on Yom Tov, you went against Mitakin. Okay, now I tell you, so you got to check on Yom Tov. Why are you saying the other Check it before Yom Tov. Says the Gemara again, Alma, Alma means it's clear, Kasava Rabbi Meir. Clearly, the opinion of Rabbi Meir is. Ri'iyat bechor, checking for the blemish in the bechor, love is not as simple and as low stature, quote unquote, as kiri'iyat terefa, checking whether it has an internal illness, an ailment. How so? Ri'iyat bechor mechayim, checking the bechor must be done in its lifetime. Ri'iyat terefa le'ahashahita, ri'iyat terefa is after it's slaughtered. Also not. In other words, uh, Nathan, Nathan, Nathan fortifies the claim of the Gemara further. He says, listen, Bechor needs a special status, a mumhe. Uh, checking terefa, I mean, it's only because it's more, it's more it's, I, I imagine it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's less common and it's more specific, but, but point taken. At what point are you checking the Bechor? Is it 
Afterwards. Afterwards. And that's the point of the Gemara. Now, as Rabbi pointed out, you can't check it beforehand. You open the animal beforehand, you, you, you made it a terefa, 100%. But ultimately speaking, that should prove to me that checking afterwards is okay, unless the checking is so significant that you're establishing a reality with it. That's the suggestion of the Gemara. That's why if you didn't check the Bechor beforehand, it's invalidated. That's why the checking beforehand is so that's right. It's a deen. It's a takana. Well, okay, either one. I know the nerab kemetaken means I made it in turn permitted for, for, for doing. I'm doing something. Umina, we can derive from this. You can check an animal after you slaughtered it internally, even on Yom Tob, of course. The deflection of the Gemara, very briefly, just beginning it, as Jeffrey said earlier, is, uh, that's not a proof. Well, that's not a proof. It's a great proof. I'm not denying the law, I'm just going to explain to you why that law is in place. It's not because, as Charles was just articulating, it's like Dean. It's not because it's mitakin. It's not because it's so significant in that respect. It's alternatively the following. When it comes to slaughtering an animal, we want you to slaughter animals. There's no way to check it internally without x-rays beforehand, even with x-rays beforehand, and as a result, slaughter it and then check it. When it comes to Bechor, we want you checking it beforehand. It's true, it, I'm not denying that the checking is not significant to that extent that if you slaughtered it, technically speaking, from the Torah in that respect, it wouldn't be kosher, but it's a kenas. It's a penalty from the rabbis. The rabbi said, do you understand what's going to end up happening? Uh, there's there's tremendous, tremendous, terrible circumstances that could happen as a result. You can take a Bechor, which has no blemish, which is supposed to be slaughtered at the Mikdash and sacrificed, and be slaughtering it because you didn't check it before. And sure, you might get lucky, but we're dealing with something very significant. It's not just slaughtering an animal and potentially it's not culture. It's slaughtering an animal and you weren't allowed to slaughter that animal. What's that? He didn't check for a moon. Yes, that's why we need you to check for the moon before. He says, do you mean to tell me over there, Hatam, in that case, the mahloka that we just recorded between Bimeir and Rabbi Uda and that Mishnah from Masech Bechorot, is the issue just whether you can and must see the moon or not? The word knas means a penalty. Their question, Rabbi Meir and Bihuda, is whether we penalize for slaughtering beforehand. In terms of if you slaughtered beforehand from the Torah, let's say it like that, you could eat it afterwards if it had a moon? Oh, you could. Sure you could, from the Torah. The question over here is whether we penalize. You can't take that case and in turn decide that the re'iyat mumin, and when the proficient person sees the mumin and determines it on Yom Tov, oh, that's such a significant action that it's mitakin or it's dandin. You can't derive that from it. And in turn, we still have no proof to be stringent on this matter. The Gemara will sum this up in the next few lines, and spoiler alert, will end with no clear indication whether we're mahmir or mekil on this issue of re'iyat mumin biyom toba mahloket rabbi Shimon and rabbi Yehuda as we saw in the Mishnah. Baruch Adonai Amen.